Thank you, everybody. My name is Trenton, and I'm an alcoholic. Thank you, Laura. And uh, to get the business out of the way, I want to first thank my uh, very special friend, Paige. I love you, brother. I, I think he's speaking on another meeting, but he's on here somewhere. Uh, thank you for the honor and the privilege to invite me here with you guys tonight. And, uh, and Teresa, I, I, I know you don't like doing it. I know you were nervous, but you, you just... As I've said before, you describe alcoholism when you when you tell your story. I hear alcoholism. I connect to it, and and uh, I think you do a great job. And I appreciate you stepping in, you know, fearful and nervous, whatever, and doing it anyway. Because that's what we do here. That's what we do. That's what I've been taught. And uh, yeah, anyway, great job. Very good job. Um, happy birthday, my friend Diane. That's so awesome. Forty-eight years. That's a long time between drinks. <laughs> uh, and I have a lot of special friends, like really, really special people in my life that are on this meeting. I can't start naming names or I'll get caught up worried about who I forgot to name, but a lot of really special friends here, people that mean a lot to me. And I want to welcome the newcomers. Welcome to this life-saving, life-changing place. Um, that's been my experience here. It's a life-saving life-changing program. So welcome if you're new and the chip takers, welcome to everybody. And uh, Okay, the, the other business, let me get the stats out of the way. Uh, I've got a sponsor, Dan D from Beaumont, California. I've got uh, a home group. It's hard for me to pick which one to tell you because I go to lots and lots of meetings and I've been taught to have jobs and have commitments in AA. So one of my home groups is the Inland Group in San Bernardino. It's a speaker meeting on Monday nights. I get the speakers there. And then I do the daily 502 Club uh, uh, speaker meeting, the daily meeting there. And so those are kind of home groups. And then last but not least, on October 4th, 2006, uh, I was given the greatest gift that a guy like me could ever hope for. And that's, of course, my sobriety date. It wasn't my first one by any means. It was not my first sobriety date. But I pray to God that it was my last one. And, uh, you know, I am so grateful for Alcoholics Anonymous. I, I love the life that I get to live as, as a result of meeting you and, uh, and finally getting desperate enough and hopeless enough to take some direction. And, uh, and as a result of that, my life has truly changed. And I am so grateful for that. And, you know, to hear like Teresa and to watch other people, um, you know, like I was, I said this morning in a meeting, you know, at first when I got here, this was all about me and my problems and what you were going to do to fix me and help me. And, and, and now after a few years of doing this, I'm able to not be so focused on me and see this thing happen in other, other people's lives. And, to, you know, Teresa was talking about her daughter being here every day. And, and I get to watch that. I get to watch. And it's, it is a beautiful thing to watch. And I don't just mean in her but in guys that I've sponsored, you know, when you see the, the lights come on in their eyes and, and uh, you know, that's what I see when, when people identify as new or taking those 30-day chips or whatever. I don't just see somebody getting sober. I see somebody getting their mom back, you know. I see, I see a husband coming back home, and uh, it's a beautiful thing to see. And if you're new, I hope you don't miss it. I truly hope you don't miss it. Uh, you know... Long before I took a drink, I, I was born disappointed. <laughs> I was, I, let me explain. Uh, my family, shortly before I was born, my family moved to Honolulu. And uh, 
things didn't really work out there. So just before I was born, they moved to Phoenix, Arizona, and that's where I was born. So, uh, you know, I, I'm born in Phoenix, and I, I know that my sisters got to play on the beaches of Hawaii as kids, and I grew up in, or I'm born in Phoenix. And when I was a couple of months old, my parents' marriage fell apart, and, uh, and my mom and two sisters and I moved out to California, and my parents got divorced, and we moved into a trailer park. <laughs> I don't know if there's any other trailer park kids here. I was not happy about being raised in a trailer park. And uh, I mean, when I say trailer park, I mean trailer park. I'm not talking one of these modular uh, prefab trailer park. I'm talking trailer park. And uh, <laughs> it, wasn't, uh, it wasn't the nicest place. It wasn't the cleanest place. And it was, uh, you know, it was difficult uh, childhood, you know, and I, when I say that, I don't blame, I'm not telling you that to blame my mom or the trailer park or any of that. It's just where I came from. Uh, I don't blame those people or those situations for my drinking. Uh, but it did kind of shape uh, how I felt growing up. And I know, you know, as I was growing up, I looked around and it seemed like everybody else had a mom and a dad. And I just had a mom and they had nicer cars and nicer homes. And I always had this I just felt less than. I felt like I didn't connect. I always felt like I was on the outside looking in and I was angry. You know, I always wanted a relationship with my dad and, uh, you know, I would go years at a time without seeing him. And it really wasn't, uh, I couldn't really go to my mom and say, hey, I, you know, I want this relationship. He, he was kind of painted out to be the enemy. And uh, so I couldn't really express that. And so I just kind of pushed it down and I pretended that it didn't matter. And all I know is, uh, you know, I grew up with this lonely, empty, separate and apart feeling. And when I was 13 years old, I found the solution to it. You pour some booze on that and it all goes away. When I poured some booze on it, it didn't matter what my address was. It didn't matter where my dad lived, what kind of shoes I was wearing. None of it mattered. A little bit of booze fixed it. Our big book says that, that men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. And uh, I think that's true. I think it's a massive understatement, <laughs> but I think it's true. I mean, I am absolutely in love with the effect produced by alcohol. It worked. It was magic for me. I mean, from day one. And when I started drinking, I didn't uh, have that. Like I sometimes hear people have this period of social drinking and they cross over into alcoholism. And I don't think I ever had that. I mean, I drank like an alcoholic from the gate and, uh, you know, at 13, 14 years old, we would, you know, rob my friend's parents' liquor cabinets, or we would hang out, we'd get our, our lunch money together, or whatever, hang out at the liquor store and get the biker guy to buy our booze for us. We always seemed to come up with it. But as I look back on it, there were times that I couldn't get a hold of any beer or whatever, and uh, I would drink things like mouthwash and cough syrup, vanilla extract, anything I could get my hands on that would give me that, that sense of ease and comfort. That's what I was always looking for. And uh, so from 13 on, I was pretty much a daily drunk. And I was first introduced to Alcoholics Anonymous when I was 17, two months before my 17th birthday. And what was going on in my life then, I had burned my life to the ground about as much as you can at 17. I, uh, I had uh, had a couple of run-ins with the law enforcement and I had wrecked a couple of cars. I was, I got kicked out of my high school for getting caught repeatedly at my locker drinking, you know, I had booze in my locker and I'm drinking on campus at school. And 
I had had a couple of girlfriends break up with me by then, uh, you know, and the only thing they said is they didn't like the way I drank. And repeatedly, I had school counselors and my mom and, and everybody telling me I needed to stop drinking. And uh, all I knew is if they knew how, how I felt when I wasn't drinking, they would never ask me to stop drinking. And that's all I knew. And I was defending my right to drink long before I had a right to drink. And long story short, I, I first was introduced to Alcoholics Anonymous because I wrecked my mom's car. You know, I was, I was drunk on a Saturday and I wrecked my mom's car. And to get the heat off, uh, I agreed to go to treatment. And that's the whole reason that I was, I got sober. Uh, you know, I, I was checked into this adolescent treatment program, and within a few days of being there, they hauled us off to put us in these white vans and hauled us off to meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I am so grateful they did that. Like I said, I didn't stay sober since then, but the seed was planted. That's when I was introduced to you. And, you know, they had a lot of suggestions there. And, you know, you've heard them all. Read the book, get a sponsor, work the steps, no relationships in the first year. <laughs> I'm like... I'm 17. Did I mention that? I'm 17 and you're telling me no relationships in the first year. Uh, I don't see the connection between that and my drinking. Uh, so I'm just going to ignore that one. I ignored most of the suggestions, to be honest, but I was definitely going to ignore that one. And so within about 30 days, I met the girl that was to become my wife. And, you know, we were, we were young and uh, she didn't drink. The, the story with her is she had been raised in an alcoholic home and alcoholism had just destroyed her family and she wanted nothing to do with drinking. So here I am, sober guy. And uh, so we were young and we fell in love and we had this relationship like something you, you see in a movie. I mean, it really was. And uh, Within a very short time, she informed me I was gonna be a dad. <laughs> so now I'm, you know, almost 18 years old, gonna be a dad and I don't know how most people come up with their dreams in life, but I just know for me, uh, I would lay in that trailer at night in that trailer park and I would dream about someday having a house that didn't have axles underneath it. <laughs> you know, I would dream about someday being a good husband and a good dad. You know, my mom never remarried after my dad and, and it didn't look very fun. And uh, I just dreamed about having this, you know, this family life and going to work and having a decent job and, decent home and having a family, a real family and sitting down at the dinner table at five o'clock eating dinner and all the things I didn't have. And, you know, I dreamed about someday being the dad that I didn't have. And, uh, so those were my dreams. Now I didn't plan to start that at 17 years old, but I got a pregnant girlfriend. So, so I said, we're going to get married and I'll work hard and we'll have this baby and live happily ever after. And that's, that was absolutely my plan. And we did get married. Our daughter was born. I was working really hard. And, uh, you know, by now I've got all these other things going on. So I'm not going to seven meetings a week. I'm going to a couple meetings or going to meetings when it's convenient. And uh, shortly after my daughter was born, I think she was three or four months old. I went to work one day, just like any other day. And But that day on the way home from work, somewhere between work and home, I'm drunk. I never planned it, never saw it coming, and I'm drunk. And I get home and this young wife of mine, this is not what she signed up for. And uh, I do not drink with success. I've never have drank with any success. So right away, you know, I think the job was gone. I'm disappearing for days at a time. The family car is probably sitting in an impound lot somewhere. I'm getting the DUIs. I'm doing, I'm drinking the way that I drink. 
I don't know how long it was. I think I drank for two or three months, whatever it was. Uh, all I know is I drank right up until I thought that she was going to leave me. And then I ran back to Alcoholics Anonymous. And when I did that, I, just, I started a cycle that for the next 19 years, I would go in and out of the doors of Alcoholics Anonymous. In and out of the doors, dying from alcoholism. and didn't even know I had it. Didn't even know I had it. I would come back to your meetings when I would get another DUI. And it always looks good to the judge when you've been going to meetings or, you know, I was about to lose my job. So I'd come back to AA. And I could always stop. If, if my situations were bad enough and I came to enough meetings and sat on my hands, I could stop. Um, I didn't. Once I started drinking, I couldn't control it. And there's no telling what's going to happen. But if I came to enough meetings, I could get stopped. And it was that way for a long time. And it was always those circumstances that would drive me back to the rooms. And I would come back to meetings. I'd go to lots of meetings. I'd go to the AA dances and the potlucks. I wouldn't work the steps or really work with a sponsor or do any of that stuff, but I was going to lots of meetings. And, uh, you know, for those 19 years, there were, sometimes I'd get 30 days and get drunk. And sometimes I'd get a couple of years and get drunk. Uh, I was always just a ticking time bomb. And, uh, you know, at one point, the longest I ever stayed sober, I use that term loosely. I, uh, I didn't drink for almost seven years and, at the end of that, you know, seven years by now, I'm, I've got a business that I've started. It's, it's got some success. Uh, I was coaching my kids in sports and, you know, I had other stuff going on. So I'm just occasionally going to a meeting and not working the steps, not doing any of this, not taking any of the action, just going to meetings once in a while. And uh, this one night, now my wife never saw her drunk. She would occasionally have like a glass of wine or something. She just didn't care about drinking and out of respect for me, she just didn't drink. And, uh, but this one night we were going to a party and on the way she said, Hey, do you mind if I stop and get some wine coolers? And I said, sure, no problem. So we stop and get her these wine coolers. They sell these things in a four pack four four pack. That is the stupidest thing. I don't buy anything less than I started an 18 pack and go from there four pack. And we bought her this four pack of wine coolers, went to the party and even worse, at the end of the night, there were two left in the four pack and we stuck them in the trunk of the car and forgot about them. We went home and, and uh, a couple weeks goes by and she and I were in our living room one night and we have an argument, just an argument like husbands and wives sometimes have. But it started to get a little bit heated, a little loud. So I decided to go outside and let things calm down. And I went out on our front porch and uh, I'm out there having a smoke, letting things calm down. And I, I just had this passing thought. I look over at the car and I remember the wine coolers in the trunk of the car. Seven years without a drink. Just the thought passed through my mind. And uh, the next thing I know, I'm over there with my key in the trunk of that car, tipping back a wine cooler. Seven years gone, just like that. We have a term in Alcoholics Anonymous, pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. I think blowing seven years on a wine cooler is the epitome of pitiful and comprehensible demoralization. <laughs> but rest assured, within about 15 minutes, literally within about 15 minutes of taking that, drinking that one wine cooler, I was standing at the liquor store buying that big bottle of vodka, 12 pack of beer. And for the next three years, I, my drinking, I, the only description I've ever heard that really described it was by one of our co-founders, Dr. Bob. He called it that frightful drinking. And that's how I drank for the next three years. Somewhere in there, I crossed some other line. And uh, for those next three years, I was drinking against my own will. I would, I would 
always in the past when things would get bad, I would come to meetings and stop drinking. And this time I would go to meetings and I'd have to stop at the liquor store on the way home. And no matter how many times I promised, no matter how badly I wanted to stop, I could not stop drinking, no matter what I tried. And I can't even count how many times in that three-year period that I would look my wife in the eyes and I'd make that promise, a promise that I meant with everything in me, that today's a day that I'm not going to drink. And within an hour, I'd be at that liquor store. I made that promise to my kids thinking I could, no way could I break this promise to my kids. And I broke that promise as many times as I made it. I'd look myself in the mirror and I would, I would say that promise with determination. Today's the day. I'm not going to do it. And I, within no time, I'd be at that liquor store. And uh, it got really, really bad. You know, it, it just, it got to be that really desperate, lonely, frightful drinking. The party was long over. Uh, I wasn't drinking to party. It was, uh, it was drinking to survive. And, you know, at one point towards the end of, of my drinking before I got sober, I, my wife had come to me and she said, you know, I, I hate to put this, I hate to do this, uh, but I can't live like this anymore. And you're going to have to make a choice. It's either me and the kids or, or booze. And, uh, and when she gave me that ultimatum, uh, and, and when I tell you this, this is a woman that I loved and respected and admired and, dreamed about being a husband someday. This was my wife. And when she gave me that ultimatum, I stepped around her. I went into the kitchen. I got a shopping bag. I threw a couple of pairs of jeans in there, grabbed my toothbrush, and I headed out the door where I could drink uh, without uninterrupted. And, uh, you know, uh, at that point, I wasn't making those decisions. I would never make that decision. But at that point, alcoholism was making all my decisions. And, uh, you know, after a short time, I manipulated my way back in the house, I guess. And, uh, you know, during that time, she had found Al-Anon. And I don't know if there's any Al-Anons in the room. I'm sure there probably are. And I got to tell you, um, I'm indebted to the program of Al-Anon. Because as it turns out, it was the example that I saw of the 12 steps working right there in my own home that really brought me to my knees. She treated me with nothing but love and compassion. And, uh, and my own guilt, waking up on a regular basis with all that guilt and remorse was eventually what brought me to my knees. And, you know, my sobriety date, October 4th, 2006, I say that's a gift because uh, I didn't pick that date. I didn't pick that date and I didn't know that was going to be the date. One of my favorite speakers and a, and a friend of mine, Larry T, says that his last drunk wasn't his worst one. It's just the one that drank away the debate. And that's my story, too, because on October 3rd, 2006, it was just another night of drinking like every night was. And I had no idea that October 4th was going to be any different. I had no idea. And I woke up that morning with the gift of desperation. I woke up that morning broken, broken in every sense of the word. Um, I woke up to face the hideous four horsemen that our literature talks about. Terror, bewilderment, frustration, despair. Broken. When I woke up that morning in my, in my home, I, uh, it's the strangest thing, profound, profound moment in my life. I was able to see things. Um, it was like watching a movie of my own life in slow motion backwards. I remember things that morning that I had long since forgotten. Random things, things like 
exactly what it felt like to wake up on a concrete floor behind bars and not even know what the charges were because I'd been in a blackout. I remember things that morning like uh, my grandmother. I was always very, very close to my grandmother. And I remember that morning what it looked like to see her on the other side of a thick piece of glass talking to me on a filthy county phone. I remembered all these experiences. I remembered that morning uh, there were couple of times that I woke up in my home and I found notes slid under my bedroom door. And when I got up in the morning and opened these notes and I opened them up and in the writing of a child, it said, daddy, please stop drinking. I'm scared. I don't even know. I don't know how many times I've told this story and, uh, and it never gets easy. That's my baby girl. That's my baby girl. And I'm breaking her heart breaking her heart. And the best I could come up with when I would read those notes is I would say her mother must have put her up to it. Selfishness, self-centeredness, that we think is the root of our trouble. And if that's not an example of selfishness and self-centeredness, I don't know what it is. The best I can come up with, I can't even look at the fact and face the fact that I am breaking my daughter's heart. My daughter's telling me how scared she is. And all I can do is pin it on her mom, who I've been putting through hell for the last 19 years at that point. And, uh, Anyway, I laid there that morning and I thought back over all these experiences, blackouts, waking up in parking lots, waking up in jail, um, all of those, all these experiences. And, uh, you know, I came up with this big plan. <laughs> By this point, I had a lot of nicknames in AA and I, I was sick and tired of going and raising my hand as a newcomer. And uh, so I came up with this brilliant plan that I was going to go hide out in big speaker meetings out of the area and... Uh, just try to get enough time sober that I, I could go back to my regular meetings and not have to raise my hand as a newcomer. I mean, I'm dying from alcoholism, but I don't want to look bad. <laughs> so that was my plan. Now, if you're new tonight, I don't recommend that, but I'm still here. So I don't know. It worked. Uh, so I did that. I was driving out of the area and I was going to these big speaker meetings and, you know, not getting connected. I'd slide in the door right before the meeting started, dip out right when, before it was over. Uh, sit in the back of the room, not talk to anybody. But I started getting some days piling up. And I started, you know, uh, now it was weeks and now some months piled up. And it's always been my experience that when I would stop drinking, whatever circumstance was going on, the the fights with my wife or the the legal problems or the job problems, whatever I had going on, it would get better. I would get worse, but those situations would get better. And that's what was happening. This time when I was four months sober, that wife of mine was diagnosed with cancer. And that's not what's supposed to happen when I get sober. And, uh, you know, long story short, uh, I was four months sober when she was diagnosed. And when I was nine months sober, she passed away. Wow. And I didn't take a drink. Um, I'm the guy that takes a drink over every nickel and dime excuse she could ever come up with. And I walked through that experience and I didn't, and I didn't drink. I was able to, uh, you know, I, I said that my dream was to be a good husband and a good dad. And I got to tell you, man, I wanted to do it a lot longer than that. But because of Alcoholics Anonymous, I was able to be there and to take care of her. And, and I promise you this, she, she made it on time to every doctor's appointment. She didn't miss one dose of medication. She ate well. She had clean sheets. She was dressed. She was clean and well taken care of. And I was able to take care of my kids and walk them through that experience. And uh, so when someone like Pej or whoever calls and says, hey, do you want to speak at our meeting? 
The answer is always yes. The answer is always yes. If you need me to stack your chairs, make the coffee, need a sponsor, the answer is yes. Um, I have not found anything that I've been asked to do in Alcoholics Anonymous that is too big of a price to pay that I don't owe it. I, I will never be able to repay this debt that I've got here in Alcoholics Anonymous. And, uh, you know, uh, after my wife passed away, that was like the first domino. Uh, the, they all started falling. After that, you know, the business that I had built up, it closed. I just, the best I could do is just go to meetings and try to take care of my kids. That's the best I could do. Couldn't focus on business. And pretty soon my house was foreclosed. The cars were repossessed. Bank accounts were empty. And uh, it was all gone. It was all gone. And it was okay because I didn't drink. That's all I could do is just, I was like a zombie for a year. And uh, after about a year, I decided I was going to try to rebuild my life. And I got another job and started making decent money. And my kids and I had gotten this, this little rent of this little place and we decorated it, kind of made it our own. And well, then I thought it was a great idea to get into a relationship. <laughs> um, um, let's just say when you're grieving and uh, <laughs> I, I was in no place mentally, I was not prepared to get into a relationship. And this was the most, the sickest, most tumultuous love, hate, even by AA standards, this was one sick relationship. And, uh, and, <laughs> and I couldn't walk away, man. One of my favorite sayings in Alcoholics Anonymous has become let go or get dragged because I was getting dragged really bad, really bad. I, during that six year period, I was lied to, I was lied about, I was cheated on, I walked on eggshells for six years. And just like my alcoholism, I always believe that this time it's going to be different. One more apology and I go back and I try it again. One more set of lies, one more whatever, over and over. And this time it's going to be different. And I would go back into that insanity and I could not walk away. And by the end of it, I was a shell of a human being. I mean, I was broken down bad. Um, but I never left Alcoholics Anonymous. I continued to go to my meetings. I continued to call my sponsor. I continued to do those things and and... You know, when I walked away from that relationship, like my buddy Pat says, I put on the AA clown suit and I, uh, I did not make it look good, man. I didn't do it pretty, but I did it. You know, I walked away and, uh, and I walked through that experience too. Um, so now that I've scared off every newcomer probably <laughs> here, it, it ends well. There's a, there's a happy ending. So, so stick with us here. Um, I got to tell you, man, in the last 14 years, there, there have been some things, so many things that have happened in my life that I so wouldn't have wanted to miss. And I'm one drink away from missing every one of them. I'm one drink away from missing every one of those experiences. And, uh, you know, and it's important for me to say that those things that I went through, you know, drunk or sober, life's in session. Life is in session. And, you know, people get sick or die. It has nothing to do with whether I'm drunk or sober. You know, tires go flat, money comes, money goes, uh, relationships coming, whatever. It, it, so I used to think, see, what's the point? Why stay sober if, it's, if this is how I'm going to live my life? Well, it's got nothing to do with it. Uh, the only fighting chance I have is here in Alcoholics Anonymous, sober. And uh, anyway, so uh, over the last 14 years, I've experienced so many things. And, uh, you know, I just, I, I don't know why this just came to me. I've, for some reason, my dear friend,
Patty O has been on my mind a lot. I know many of you, Diane was good friends with her. Um, Patty O was one of my heroes, absolute heroes. And October 4th was also her sobriety date, many years apart. But I got to share that sobriety date with her. And um, I don't even know why I'm saying this, but it's just, I'm thinking about Patty. My sponsor, Gary, that I had and Patty were my heroes. And they, they both passed away when I was uh, a couple years ago. And they passed away within weeks of each other. And I was devastated, devastated. Um, when I got to celebrate some of my AA birthdays with Patty. She would come out and we would go to dinner and she would give me a cake and I could give her a cake. And, uh, I don't even know why it came to me, but uh, absolutely adored her. And it's people like that that have been, they've played such a huge role in my life. I know what thought made me think of it. Um, as I was going through all those difficult things, um, uh, my sponsor, Gary, who passed away a couple of years ago, he watched me go through that stuff and he helped me go through it. And he, he would tell me regularly, he'd say, hey, Trenton, I've seen, I've seen you go through a lot of stuff. You've been given a lot of good excuses to drink, but no good reasons. And there's a difference. And I'm so glad that he told me that. And he walked me through that. And I don't know. I mean, I don't know why that came up about Patty, but I adored her. Um, Anyway, in the last 14 years, um, I was able to attend my kids' graduations from school and their accomplishments. Um, I walked my little girl down the aisle at her wedding. A couple of years ago, my son got married, and, uh, and he asked me to be his best man. And of all of his friends and his buddies that he went to school with, he asked me to be his best man. And I'm one drink away from missing it. One drink away from missing it all. And, uh, you know, the one... I always talk about my grandsons. I've got four grandsons now. And, uh, you know, when my daughter told me that she was going to have my first one, uh, she came over to my house and she gave me this gift bag. And at the, you know, it wasn't my birthday. I didn't know what it was for. And I'm reading the card. And at the bottom, it said, congratulations, grandpa. So I knew I was going to have a grandchild. And, and uh, when I read that card, I thought of Patty O's story. When uh, she talks about being in the hospital when, when her grandson Eden was born. And when they put him in her arms, she was looking into the eyes of God. And I love the way she told that story. It was beautiful. If you ever have the chance to hear it, um, it's beautiful how she told that story. So when I found out I was going to be a grandfather, I couldn't wait. I'm like, for nine months, I'm pacing the floor. I'm like, I'm going to be looking into the eyes of God just like Patty, and I couldn't wait. And nine months goes by, and I get that phone call. My daughter says, hey, Dad, it's time. And I go to the hospital, and, of course, I beat my daughter to the hospital. <laughs> and... Uh, I was not in the room when my grandson was born. I don't think that's the, I think the waiting room is where a dad should be. So I was in the waiting room, but I was the first person to hold my grandson after his parents. And I'll never forget when they put him in my arms. Um, I was looking into his eyes and I'm like, here's that moment. Like Patty, I'm going to have that moment. I'm looking in his eyes and I'm like, what's wrong with me? I mean, don't get me wrong. He's beautiful. I love his eyes, but it's my grandson's eyes. It's not the eyes of God. What is wrong with me? I'm like, Patty lied to me. <laughs> I'm like what is wrong with me and I didn't know I didn't know what it was and I was like I was bummed I'm like I mean I love him but it's not the eyes of God and then I just I happened to look over at my daughter and I saw the way that she looked at me holding her son and I was looking right square into the eyes of God and I saw my daughter and uh and I looked back at my grandson, and I was looking into the eyes of God, just like Patty said. Patty didn't lie to me. 
you know, I mentioned my, my grandmother earlier. Um, I was very, very close to her, like I said, and, and, uh, she's called, I was, I was her favorite grandson, grandchild, by the way, I was the favorite. <laughs> and, uh, she called me her pride and joy. She was there for me by my side, my whole life. And, you know, a few years ago she got sick, you know, she's getting older and I wanted to take her to dinner. I trying to spend more time with her. I'm sober. And I'm, you know, I think our families suffer the worst of our illness. They deserve the best of our recovery. And so I was trying to spend more time with her and take her to dinner. And this one time we go to dinner and she's getting older, can't see too good. And I was helping her up on the sidewalk. I didn't want her to fall. And uh, man, I'm choked up tonight. I don't know why. Forgive me. <laughs> um, so I was helping my grandmother up on the sidewalk. And when I did that, she just stopped and looked up at me and she said, she said, I'm so proud of you. And whenever you're around, I feel safe. Whenever you're around, I feel safe. That's the woman that had to sit on that other side of that thick piece of glass and talk to me on a filthy county phone. And now because of Alcoholics Anonymous, I get to let, let this lady feel safe, make my grandmother feel safe. And, uh, you know, recently, we, do I, I talked to 855. I feel like I'm talking for three days here. I talked to 855. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> no problem. Um, I'm busy in AA. I do. I, I do lots of meetings. I do committees. I do conventions. I do it. I do all of it. And uh, we've been doing some book studies lately. Uh, well, we always have. And we went through the big book and then 12 and 12 and dropped the rock. And now we're just, we're like finding whatever. And, and we're doing the ripple effect. And I'm realizing the ripple effects, the ripple effects. As a result of me being here in Alcoholics Anonymous and not drinking and not putting my family through that and not, you know, um, the ripple effect, the ripples that I see in my kids' lives. And that can be good or bad, you know. I mean, there was ripples, uh, ripple effect was happening long before I got sober. But I see some amazing things, you know. I've been able to be there for my kids. Uh, when my son got his heart broken, his first heartbreak, who did he come to? He came to me. He came to me. Um, my daughter is the biggest daddy's girl. She's 31 years old. She is the biggest daddy's girl you've ever seen in your life. The ripple effects, the ripple effect in our life, you know, and uh, share a couple more stories. Um, you know, about seven or eight years ago, I think it was my daughter uh, had written this, this beautiful letter about me. And it was a, she was nominating me for a father of the year award. And, uh, it was put on social media and people would vote and uh, this thing on social media for the Inland Empire, which is a big area, San Bernardino, Riverside counties, it's a very big area. And, you know, win or lose, I didn't care. I'm just reading this letter from my daughter. It was a beautiful letter. And in the letter, she talked about me being an alcoholic and how I'd gotten sober and, you know, um, just this beautiful letter. And, you know, it went on for a period of time. There were several men were nominated and people voted and it got down close to the end and my daughter called me. One day she said, hey, dad, you're in the top three. And I'm like, wow, unbelievable. I mean, amazing. And then a few days later, she called me and she said, congratulations, dad, you won first place. One drink away, one drink away. And, uh, you know, my, my, my grandsons, I'm involved in their, their lives. I, I show up. I, I'm at the, I'm at the baseball games. I'm at the school functions. I'm at the, I'm at it all. I, I do my very best to, to be involved in their lives. And, 
And, you know, my grandsons, I see, I see them almost every day. And, you know, when I walk in the door, they run and hide. And they don't run and hide because they're afraid. They run and hide because they want me to go look for them and find them. Um, I love the life that I get to live here in Alcoholics Anonymous. And that doesn't mean it's without problems. Man, I've got, I've, the last year in my life, there's been some circumstances. Uh, you know, we always hear that whatever you're going through, you'll find someone here in Alcoholics Anonymous who's been through it. I got to tell you, I've gone through something in the last year that I have not met anyone inside or out of Alcoholics Anonymous that's gone through what I went through. It has been a very challenging, difficult, confusing experience, but I've not walked through it alone. I've walked through it with the help and support of a lot of really dear friends, um, several of which are in this meeting tonight. Um, you know, I, I mentioned earlier that, you know, about going through that experience with my losing my first wife. Well, my good friend Kelly, I think she's still in here. Kelly, um, she, her story is, she's like the female version of me. She went through a very similar thing and, uh, and we identified in that when we met, we like identified it was like my alcoholism and her alcoholism and they met and, and she, her story is so much like she lost her husband at a young age, early on in sobriety, so similar. And she's been able to be a support to me. And I've tried to do that for her. And, uh, you know, and there's all these experiences that I've gone through, there've been people that have walked me through every bit of it. And, uh, I, I feel like I'm running out of stuff. I'm going to tell you one story that I, I think is funny. I haven't told it in a long time. All those, and then I'm going to wrap it up. Um, all those years that I was going in and out of AA, I never worked the steps. And I got to tell you, one of the main reasons I wouldn't do it is because I'm looking at the fifth step and that thing scared me to death. I'm like, I'm not telling anybody all this stuff. Uh-uh, uh-uh. I was so consumed with what people thought of me and uh, I'm not telling anybody any of that. Well, this time when I came back in, I was so desperate not to drink. I was willing to do pretty much anything. And uh, so I was willing to even take the fifth step. And I had Gary that was my sponsor. Um, I wrote that inventory and I had at the end of it, there were like two or three things that I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to tell him those. I'm, I'm not so sure, but I wrote them down and I thought if it feels right, I'm going to tell him. And so we started, I'm sharing the inventory and then I got towards the end of it and we ran out of time. So then we went to a pizza place and we had a pizza. And so there was just those few things left. And he said, is there anything left? And, uh, and I looked at him and I looked back at my paper and I looked at him and I thought, I don't want to drink anymore. I got to tell him. And, and I got to those deep, dark, dirty secrets, the things that kept me awake at night, the things that I never wanted to share with anybody. And I just told him. And I will never forget his reaction. I don't know if it was by design or it just happened this way. Here's what he said. He said, are you going to eat that last slice of pizza? <laughs> That's how moved he was by this stuff that kept me awake at night. It was like no big deal. And, uh, and I realized in that moment, I realized in that moment that I was lovable no matter what I'd done. And that, uh, you know, after he said that, and we kind of laughed about it, he said that he loved me even more as a result of, of me being willing to be vulnerable, vulnerable and be honest with him. And that was the first time in my life I'd ever been 100% real and vulnerable to another human being. And uh, what an experience, man. And when we got done and we left that place, he said that, uh, he said, when you walk out the door tonight, you can look the world right square in the eyes. And I've been looking the world right square in the eyes ever since. 
And uh, man, I don't know. I was a sappy mess tonight. I apologize. <laughs> but I, I truly, truly love Alcoholics Anonymous. I love what you've done in my life. I love the effect that it's had on my family. And, uh, you know, whoops. Oh, sorry. Just a minute. My screen went crazy. Um, thank you again, Teresa. We have a great life here. Uh, it's been, it's amazing. Uh, you know, we met in Alcoholics Anonymous and we keep it right in the, in the middle of our relationship. She's got her thing. I've got mine. And, uh, you know, it's a relationship built on trust and respect and honesty and, and all good stuff. The principles we learn here. I, I try to practice these principles in all my affairs, all my affairs. And I'm just incredibly grateful to be here tonight. Thank you guys so much for having me.